The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. So hello and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today, I'm super duper excited because we have a really cool guest, Lisa Campion, who I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. And I had the honor of being a guest on her show And we are also co-faculty, and I always get this wrong, on the Institute for Creative Living. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. And we're on the same podcast network, Mind, Body, Spirit, FM. So lots of overlap. So I'm excited that we get to chat again, and I'm excited to share her magic with you. And um, Lisa is a psychic counselor, Reiki master with more than 25 years of experience. She's trained more than 1,000 practitioners in hands-on energy healing practice of Reiki, including medical professionals, and has conducted more than 15,000 individual sessions in her career. Campion is the author of several books, including The Art of Psychic Reiki, and she's based in Providence, Rhode Island. So Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation. And so now you're on your third book now? Yeah. My first book was called The Art of Psychic Reiki. And that was really for, you know, Reiki practitioners who study Reiki often pops open people's psychic ability. And I always say Reiki, yoga, and meditation are like the trifecta of things that pop us open. And yet a lot of people don't get training or they're they're in a Reiki class and they're like, I'm starting to see things now. And their Reiki teachers are like, we don't talk about that here. You know, we don't, we don't do that. So I that was my first book. And then my second book, it's called Energy Healing for Empaths. So I really wanted to serve the empath community and talk about how we can be empowered as empaths. And then this one, Awakening Your Psychic Ability, is just a straight up psychic development book. So Beautiful. it's really fun. Yeah. So let's go back to the first book because Reiki is not something we've covered over much on the show, believe it or not. It's not something that I am trained in or do, but it is something that I've heard from so many people was the gateway to opening their intuition. Yes. And I'm super curious about people having, to me, those two things go so hand in hand. So talk to me about people having an experience. I know years ago I was taking a yoga class, which was a gateway for me. Yoga was probably the first spiritual practice that I ever did in my life. And um, I remember I was in wheel pose and I just had this overwhelming feeling of bliss. I had this overwhelming feeling of bliss, like nothing I've ever known. And I was like so excited because I knew it was something that unlocked from my body. And I was like running to the teacher and I was all happy. And I had that same experience of them just, you know, totally shutting it down. Like, and I now know that that is actually exactly how yoga is supposed to work. And I would assume it's the (laughs) same thing with Reiki, right? Like everyone I know, so many people I know, not everyone I know, but a lot of people I know, have had that psychic opening through learning Reiki or being attuned. 
Absolutely. And it's the attunement process that really pops us open, especially the second level attunement. Um, the symbols that are used open the pineal gland and open our, our connection. And so lots and lots of people, if you're psychically inclined anyway, you have a lot of latent psychic ability or you're sensitive empathy type person and you learn Reiki, it might pop you open. And I just heard from so many people that, you know, they got the big smackdown from their teachers about that, or they didn't know the teachers didn't know what to do. I've been teaching Reiki for a long time. And one of my students said to me, I stepped back from Reiki. She's a brilliant healer. She was an amazing healer and uh, working in hospice, which is so, so very important. And she's like, I stopped doing it because I felt like it opened a portal in my psychic and it freaked me out so hard. I shut everything down and stepped away from Reiki. And I was like, oh my God, that's a tragedy because the world needs all the healers it can get. She's a super talented healer. She was doing this beautiful work in the world. And really all she needed was training. She just needed training to help her. She was one one that went to her teacher and got the shutdown for that. We don't do that. That's not part of it. I don't know what that is. It's weird and scary. Stop that right now. Wow. And I was like, that's a crime. So I I had been teaching Reiki and psychic development side by side for years. And like you, it seemed to me like a natural, well, of course, you know, and that that's when I wrote that book. Um, and I, I've just continued, even though it was published in 2018, I continued to get a flood of people who tell me that that book has helped them validate that it's okay to be psychic and give them some guidelines about what that means and how to integrate it into the healing work that they're doing as Reiki practitioners. Right. So yeah, it's been pretty cool. And I hear that from a lot of my body workers too. Like, I think I just had, I don't know, it was a client, a friend, something. I think it was a client who said, you know, her sister after many years went back to massage work. She had a divorce or something and she had to go back to work. And as soon as she put her hands on bodies again, her mediumship abilities opened up. Yeah. And I think it's really because, first of all, it's all energy, right? It's all coming from the Mm -hmm. same place. And a good massage therapist, I think anyone who's really good at what they're doing, whether you're a business person, whether you're a body worker, whether you're anything, you know, a creative, it's always my belief, anyone who is really good at what they're doing is tuning into their their intuition because that's, that's where all the, you know, it's your connection to your soul. At least that's how I understand it. And I'm going to ask you another question because I think I think we might have some differing terms, but you're tapping into that, right? But especially our, us healers on the healing realm, those things are so intertwined. And many of us have many past lifetimes too, where, right, putting your hands on someone, you know, journeying for someone, it was all part of the same thing. Oh, yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I really see, and of course, everyone's unique and there's variations on this. It's not one size fits all, but I really see the the psychic, the intuitive, the healer, the empath is sort of the same person. Like if you're called to be a healer, you're going to be sensitive. Not every healer is an empath, but many, many are. And so psychic ability is just another toolkit that we get to use in our skills as a healer. You know, that's why I did the empath book and the psychic Reiki book and this psychic development book, because I feel like those are my people since I've been training healers. My mission in life is to train an army of healers to go out there and save the planet because it needs it right now. And so many of us are waking up to that life purpose. We're like having this like, oh my gosh, I think I'm a healer calling. It's like we're called to that as soul work. And we need it. The world needs it. And it's really hard to do without training. I had to do without training because my psychic awakening happened when I was a kid. Back in the 70s and 80s, I was going through this and there was no training wow. and no internet. Think about that. No podcasts like this, no psychics on TV, no new age, no bookstores, none, nothing, nothing. And it was hard. 
it was hard. I had to thrash around and figure it out and pretend to be normal in public. And it was super painful and difficult for me. And so I feel really passionately about helping other people that are whose gifts are waking up not have to suffer and thrash around like I did. How did you keep them open? Because I I talked to a lot of people in that situation where they open up or maybe they've always been open and then, you know, there's no yeah. framework for understanding them. There's no one to kind of nurture or mentor you. You feel like the odd man out and you shut it down. Yeah. How did you navigate that without a support system? I never could figure out how to shut it down. I spent the first 20 years of my life trying to figure out how to shut it down. And I, I just couldn't, you know, and I don't know. I, I totally understand why that's the way most people go. Right. You know, but for me, my gifts were kind of extreme and I just didn't have that. It wasn't an option for me. Got it. So let's talk about that a little bit because we talked a little bit before uh, we went live about my own experience. For me too, I was a little bit like you, like, I didn't really know that's what I was doing, um, but I was not a control empath for most of my, all of my childhood and a good chunk of my adult life, meaning I was feeling everything that everyone else was feeling all the time uh, to the expense of knowing what the heck was going on inside of me and being able to have any kind of energetic boundaries at all. I had not a freaking clue. And because I was so overwhelmed by all the information that was coming through, a lot of times I wasn't tuning into my gifts. Because, you know, I give the analogy of if you are watching TV with every channel blasting at once, you are not going to be watching anything. Yeah. And, you know, I can look back and go, oh, that was, you know, that was a psychic experience. And I know where, you know, my channeling ability started, you know, as a young adult, as a child. And that was pretty clear for me and something I was able to do pretty reliably, even though I didn't know that's what it was called. But everything else was a hot mess. So what do you tell people? I mean, what was your experience? But also as a teacher, what would you have told me if I had walked into your one of your classes? So my my classes are sort of 50-50. And half the people are the hot mess people like you and I were. So we're looking for the off switch. We're in that sort of an overwhelming psychic opening. And the other half, of the people are looking for the on switch and they're trying to kind of like boost their skills. Their skills are coming sometimes and not other times and they wish there was more. And I find it's often the visual psychics that are the turn it off people. Not always, but often it's visual psychics who are really like looking for the off switch and auditory psychics that are more looking for the on. So I feel like we start with like grounding practices. So embodiment practices, energetic hygiene, and I'm such a you know, stickler for the, these basics, being grounded, learning how to clear yourself so you can clear out and all empaths need to learn how to do that. My second book is all about this psychic hygiene, really, I call it, um, and energy management practices. So I learned how to ground. I learned how to clear the energy that isn't mine. I learned shielding techniques. So we need to ground, we need to clear, we need to shield, we need to replace our lost energy. And those practices, I think, give us a leg to stand on, you know, and then we can start meditation techniques or like learning, you know, I remember my grandmother, she didn't know anything about this, but she was like, why don't you imagine that it's a radio and you can turn it off, you know, when I was probably 10 and I wouldn't Aww. go in the barn and play with my cousins because there was a the dead guy hanging from the rafters in the barn and I was crying because I wouldn't go in. And she was like, how did you know that so-and-so, you know, killed himself in the barn, whatever. But that worked for me. So I found also my parents were hippies and they, I had a bit of a remarkable education. So they took me to transcendental meditation when I was 10, because wow. that's what you did when you were a hippie in 1974. So I learned that. And I did the Silva method when I was in high school. 
which probably saved my life, honestly. I studied martial arts, you know, and then the new age happened when I was in early college and all of a sudden there were teachers and help for people like us. But I, I think we need a support. We need teacher. We need a mentor. We need a group. We need to know things. We need practices. We need a framework for understanding what's happening. But those foundational hygiene exercises, I think are the most important and they're not yeah. hard to do. You can do them in 10 minutes and feel different right away. So give us some examples because I love that. And I think people would love to have some tools. Yeah. So the first thing to do is ground and there's a million ways to do it, but I use a breathing and meditation process of just bringing light in the top of your head and dropping it into your heart. You know, just taking a moment to breathe into your heart and figure out what's in there, honor your beautiful, amazing heart. And then on your exhale breath, release anything you're holding down your legs and out the bottoms of your feet and into the earth where we let the earth absorb it. I always ask for the earth to compost it. And I give the earth a lot of gratitude. Like, thank you so much for composting this. And then down into the belly. The belly is where we often hold the energy we pick up from other people. As empathic, it's all like spaghetti, black spaghetti in there. So you breathe in there and honor, like, and begin to ask yourself the question, is this mine? Like, what's mine and what isn't mine? So we make that distinction. And either way, I'm going to release it down. And then down into the tailbone, breathing down into your tailbone. So you, as we land in the tailbone, we tend to get very grounded and embodied. Thank you for my beautiful, healthy body. Like, let's give that some appreciation and clear energy out with that. And then the last phase is bubbling up, really being inside. Empaths have the outside edge of our energy field is like a sponge. And it really needs to be like a little more solid. Non-empathic people have more like fish scales or roofing tiles. It's And it's meant to be semi-permeable, like the membrane of a cell, to allow in energy that's supportive to keep out non-supportive energy. And we are the boss of that. So we have to change our habit of being a sponge right. into being more energetically boundaried. And if you do this every day, twice a day, three times a day for a while, you change that habit. And then all of a sudden, that's your new your new normal. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. I see sometimes people too, they suck in their aura. So especially yep. people that have had a lot of early trauma where they kind of, you know, their light was maybe a little bit too bright for the people in their early world. So they learn to yeah. kind of pull it down. And so you'll see when people are stressed or they're feeling threatened, they contract when, you know, it's almost like if your aura is your bubble, that's your that's your buffer. If you make it smaller, you're actually more going to feel than if you expand into it and make it larger. So I see yeah. that that pattern a lot. That used to be mine where I would just suck it in and then everything hurts because you have yes. no buffer. I know. That's a good point. And I feel like everyone has a sweet spot with their aura and it's sort of different for a lot of people. Yeah. Some people expand their aura out too much. And empaths yeah. who are more codependent or go like, you know, we learn. I remember this. This is crazy that I remember, but I remember being like two and in my crib and expanding my aura so that it was as big as my entire house because then I could feel everybody. Right. And I was like, where's mom? Where's dad? Is it a good mommy day today or a bad mommy day today? Right. Do you know what I mean? And right. and so then we learned this habit of ex over expanding our aura and having everyone in it. So as a safety factor, just so right. we're, it's like hypervigilant really, you know? Yep. And then those people need to pull it in. That's not fun if you're in a movie theater or in an airplane God help you, you know, yeah. like then we need to pull in. So we're not, we don't have everyone sitting in our energy field. That's no point, right. you know, if you're sensitive. 
And many of us, and we've talked about this before on the show, but I think it bears discussing again, a lot of empaths have learned to use that as a tool for self-preservation, oftentimes in early dysfunctional families or dysfunctional yeah. situations. Um, John Holland, yeah. in his biography, he talks about this, about growing up in an alcoholic family, and he would have to check in and you know be yeah. monitoring dad all the time so that he knew, do I need to take my brother now and hide in the closet? You know, because yep. dad's going to come home drunk and violent. And it, it doesn't have to be that extreme. But I think, you know, a lot of times we do use it as a self-preservation tool. And then like every other tool that we develop in our childhood, when we are, you know, somewhat dependent and, and a little bit less empowered, you know, that becomes our model for adult life when it's not function, it doesn't serve anymore. And so we have to relearn new patterns that are more functional and more empowered and more helpful for us. Yes. And I think that being boundaried is for me has been that pattern. So really like I found a lot of liberation and freedom and empowerment in learning that I am a hundred percent responsible for my own boundaries. It's not other people's job to monitor my boundaries. Doesn't work. And so I was like, wait a second, I can be in charge of this. <laughs> that was like this massively empowering moment for me. And it's not okay really, or reasonable to expect other people to know where your boundary is or enforce your boundary. It's a hundred percent on us. And that liberated me, realizing that. I learned a lot of ways to do it and I could be free to roam around the world doing all the things that I want to do, knowing that I'm the boss of my own boundary. And what to do if somebody violates that or how to negotiate. It's you know not a concrete wall, my boundary. And I think that's a very alien concept for empaths because we get all mergy with the world, mergy with other people, and we feel safe. And as healers, we merge and I think as psychics, we merge. And so learning how to still stay in relationship and still actually you're way safer as a healer if you're not doing that. Yeah. Somebody needs to be present in the room. There needs to be like, yeah. you know, like a grounded present person in the room that isn't merged. And if your client has invasion wounds, then like coming out of yourself and merging with them isn't going to feel so good for that person. So, or it might feel familiar to that person, but it's not going to be serving that person and that's not in their best interest. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You know, because we can get into these patterns that feel familiar, which doesn't really feel good, but it feels like what we're used to. So we keep inviting it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. No, I love that. And, you know, that's something I had to learn over the years in the work that I do is that energetic hygiene and also what was helping, you know, on different levels and how to help without, you know, going in, in the mess with the other mm -hmm. person and, yeah. and not identifying. Because once you identify someone else's, and we've talked about this a bunch on the show too, once you identify someone else's pain as such and you go there with them, what you're actually doing is strengthening that story. You're strengthening that pain. You are When you are joining it, you are adding to that energy, even if it feels good for them for a moment. Even if you yeah. you know take some of that with you and they feel better for 20 seconds, they're going to produce more. And you've just overall increased the amount of suffering in the world. And that doesn't serve. It's like wound mates, wound mates are trauma bonding, right? Yeah. Trauma bonding is the other name for that. You know, especially as a healer, you don't need to be a wound mate. We need to be no. compassionate and present, open-hearted, grounded, present, but also seeing that that person is way more than their wounds, way more than, you know, what's happened to you, but it's not who you are. And we can honor what ha has happened to us and to other people and feel compassion without merging. If we merge, you know, it's not really helpful. Now, you said something earlier, and it's, it keeps popping into my brain, so I think my guides are nudging me, around this, is it mine, is it yours? 
And we had another guest on the show whose name is escaping me. And we'll have that in the show notes. So you'll know what episode I'm talking about. But we had a long, really beautiful conversation around that because sometimes you don't know. And not only do sometimes you don't know if it's mine or someone else's, but a lot of times you ask the question, but the answer is both. Because what we're spongy to, what we magnetize into our space is often what matches the energy of our own unresolved stuff. So I'd love to hear you speak to that. Yeah, 100%. That's a great, great conversation. So I think as empaths, you know, we can notice what's going on. We can observe what's going on with somebody else. But it really rings our bell when we have that particular, if it's grief or anger, whatever's unprocessed in us, it's still sort of raw in us. We really vibrate to that. And that's where it's hard to tell, you know, the difference. And I feel like there's two ways to handle that. One of them is sort of easy and the other one is difficult. It's like takes more work. And the easy way is to really ask yourself that question. If you don't know, you can use a pendulum or muscle test even. So when I was going through that, I'd, is this mine? Like I was muscle testing a lot <laughs> um, to see what it was. And the longer answer is we really have to know ourselves. So you have to know who you are and doing that deep inner work, doing shadow work, working with your subconscious, um, which of course is something that we're always in process. But eventually we get to know ourselves enough that we just do know. You know, right. we know because we know ourselves. Right. And that's that's the longer, harder piece of work. Right. But for me, the you know, the one of the reasons I became a counselor, aside from the fact that all the information that was coming through my beautiful intuitive channels was of that nature and I wanted to be responsible. But the other reason I became a counselor, and and this is how I teach. Because for me, the biggest part of awakening my intuition and, you know, clearing that channel was doing the inner work. Yeah. You know, doing the inner work, because when you are more, first of all, you increase your awareness. And I want to hear what you think about this. But again, for me, I believe intuition, all of it comes from that same channel of that connection to my higher self, to my soul. So when I bring more soul in, <laughs> it's just naturally going to flow more easily. And there's also a level of discernment that we start to have when we start to know our inner landscape and we start to clean and clear out some of the junk. Not only is there more space, but you know you know where the furniture is. You know where the furniture is, so you don't bump into it. Old school psychics call that clearing the channel. Okay, well, there we go. I love that word, that terminology. And the idea is like, if your internal channel isn't clear, you're not a clear psychic. Right. So, you know, for me, because I was also a counselor, I started working as a psychic when I was 19 and quickly went back to school and, you know, learned how to be a therapist because I was a good psychic. Even at 19, I could deliver the message, but then I had no idea what to do. Yeah, the person same. would cry <laughs> I, and I'd be like, I don't know what to do. I'm just 19. Like, I don't know, you know? Right. So I had to get skilled in how to help my clients understand what was going on. And then I mixed counseling and psychic work together forever. I feel like it's like, I agree with you. For me, it's the best part. It's like as healers, we are always our first and best client. Your clients will come in with your issue du jour until you clear <laughs> it. And I love that. I lean into that. And it's always surprising, I think, to my students when we start this journey of psychic development or intuitive development. The first thing that happens is our stuff comes up. You know, so I've never been able to separate spiritual growth, personal growth, and psychic development. I've never been able, nor do I think we should. I think there's an incredible opportunity to lean into that. And, you know, as you work it through, you know, like your client then comes through and you're like, I figured that out five minutes ago. So now I know what to do, you know? Right. And even though I've been working, you know, for so long now doing this work, I still enjoy that. It still happens. I still am always at the cutting edge of my own growth. And I love that. I feel like 
if I stop doing my personal development work, my practice dries up, my creativity dries up, my work dries up. And I love that edge. So I just, that's no problem for me. It's such an incredible, it makes the whole thing very transformative and towards the evolution and, and growth of our own soul, like you were saying. So I'm all for it. Yeah. You said so much, and I want to pick up on two things that you said. The first one being, I mean, we have so much commonalities, but the first one being, yeah, I agree. Like when I teach intuition development, psychic development, it is personal and spiritual development. It's all the same thing. And to teach somebody to be psychic without that, it's like, it's boring. It's like, I'll teach you a magic trick. What are you going to go do with it? Yeah. You know, and there are people, there are psychics out there that aren't super connected because I think, Mm -hmm. and I'd love to hear what you think, but I think contrary to popular belief, you don't have to be super evolved to be able to read minds or, you know, predict things. We're all energy beings. We all can connect to that. But the real joy is when we connect from our highest selves. Yeah. And there are lots of more old school psychics who made a great connection, but they didn't do any personal growth work and they'd be kind of like mean to their clients. Some of the TV psychics, I think old school TV psychics were like that. And I remember watching them on TV and I'd be like, well, that person's kind of mean to her clients. Like, why would you do that? You know, like, and you can see that like they have good connection, but they don't have that. They haven't done their inner work. So that feels off balance to me. Right. And it's the same thing. If you went to a therapist that hadn't done their inner work, they can take you so far but they're probably not going to take, certainly no one listening to this podcast, they're not going to take you all the way. And they might, you know, there might be some collateral damage there. (laughs) Therapists are also (laughs) encouraged to do their own work for the same exact reasons. But again, Mm. I think sometimes people make this assumption, oh, wow, if they can, you know, read something about me accurately or, you know, tell me something that happened to me as a child. And then they say X is going to happen. It must be true. Mm. It's my belief. We all have these abilities. For some of us, they come more naturally than others, but the real gold comes when we use this in service of our soul. You know, newbie psychics or psychics that had great training, often what they do is they hit the astral plane. So they don't know how to move up. They don't know how to move to the higher realms. And so it's not that hard to hit the astral plane, but we don't get very good information there. And I think about, you know, like sort of tea room psychics and no, I'm not throwing any shade. Tea rooms are so fun. But, you know, sometimes what you get is people who are, when we're in the astral, we're reading people's hopes and fears. So you can get a really accurate reading, like, you know, you're going to meet a tall, dark stranger, you know, you're going to have this great relationship, but you better watch out because there's a curse. You know, that level, that's a hope and fear. I knew I had a curse. Oh, I was hoping that I would meet a tall, dark stranger. And it can feel really accurate because they're, they're are actually accurately reading your hopes and fears for real. Right. But they're not doing anything joyous with them. <laughs> no, no. And, then, and what really what use is that? Honestly, like, I mean, it's, I guess if you need more clarity about your hopes and fears, that could be useful, but we need to like learn how to, if we don't have a high frequency, if we have a done our inner work, it's hard to lift off, off the astral plane. Right. And there's a lot of sketchy astral beings who show up and as guides, they're not great. They're not reliable. They're manipulative a lot of times. So in order to do hit the higher realms, we have to shift our frequency and learn how to connect higher. Right. And I know for me, and I don't use that kind of language, but I love it. So I want to talk about that more because that might resonate with people. But I know for me, there's what I think of as like reading someone's mind. And it's real easy. I've been doing it my whole life. Super, super, super easy. I mean, I don't do it intentionally now because I respect your privacy. But if I'm in a session, like I might be checking in because sometimes I am reading what's just below consciousness for somebody. And when you articulate it, it's huge. 
it's huge. And sometimes you're yes. just checking in. Um, but yeah. if you tell somebody like, you know, just what you said, if you're reading someone's mind and then you tell them that that's from their spirit guides, you know, their highest spirit guides or their soul, like that's no good. <laughs> that's yeah. no good. And it's not accurate. So you have to know where you're going and you also have to feel into yourself. I would always say, and I say this again and again and again, when you're going for a reading or any kind of anything in the world, it could be a doctor, it could be reading a book, like check in with yourself and feel how it makes you feel. Feel if it resonates. If it doesn't resonate, it's no good. Let it go. Let mm-hmm. it go. And don't yeah. give your power away to somebody just because they say they know something. I never tell anyone I know anything they don't know. What I tell people, and people have heard me say this on the show a million times, but I'll say it again, I'm the conduit or channel for you to hear you. And it might come out of my mouth, but you know, when you hear it, you're going to know. That's beautiful. I love that. Well said. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. So let's talk about the different, what did you call them in your book? I call them planes or dimensions. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So it's different dimensions of psychic experience. What do you call them? The psychic worlds, you know. Okay, there we go. Yeah, the psychic worlds. And one of the things that I put in my book that's pretty unique is a map. And I teach it in my psychic development classes, my intermediate and advanced psychic development classes is a map of the other worlds. Just because I'm sort of an ordered, structured person, and I like an order and structure and a method in the way that I operate. And I came across these maps. They were from the Theosophical Society and from some shaman stuff that I studied from the Kabbalah. Um, And I got kind of interested, like, who's mapped these realms? Is it possible to map them? And it's not really like a 2D kind of map. Like you, It's like a map, like the like a flat map is of the globe, you know, it's, it's right. just a representation really of something we can hang our hat on a little bit. And I, I really divided into three different worlds, the lower realm, the middle realm, and the upper realm. And the lower realm is like the, the, the world of our subconscious. It's like the shamanic realm, you know, our, the realm of our psyche, the dreamscape, you know, and, and a lot of people are afraid of the lower realm, but I love lower realm work. And it's, that's where you want to go if you do shadow work or if you want to do past life work. And I teach my students to do shaman journeys. My initial training as a psychic was with a shaman way back in the day. And it's super powerful down there. We can reclaim our spiritual power. We can learn a lot about who we are at this deep essence level. And then there's the middle realm, which is sort of planet Earth. And there's two sides of it. Well, three, really. There's the where we live in this dimension that we're dealing with right here. And then on one side of it is the astral plane that where the stuck dead people go, you know, and the ghosts hang out. And on the other side is the world of the of nature spirits. So if you okay. want to talk to fairies and elementals and divas and those beings are existing and side along us in this middle realm. Right. Then we have the upper realms, which is where heaven, I was called heaven soul world where soul world is, where the angels, masters, prophets, saints, divine beings, gods and goddesses, beings of pure consciousness, and their sort of layers up there. And I just feel like the map is useful because when we have some sort of sense like that, we know where we are. And a lot of times people, when they're in their psychic awakening, it just seems random. Like what's going on? Where am I? What 
why am I like, I'm talking to a fairy today, but I'm talking to an angel over here. And when I teach the map and teach people how to travel through the map, it teaches the the skill and art of discernment. Just be able to tell where you are, what's going on, what kind of being, because we've all had that experience where in the middle of the night, something walks through our room and we think it's dead Uncle Fred, but what if it isn't? What if it's a fairy or an angel or a dead, stuck dead person or an entity that needs to get, you need to get rid of, or, you know, it, once we understand that map and what all those places and those beings feel like and how we experience them, we can, we can discern. That's where I go with it. No, I love that. I love that. And I remember when I first started journeying, which is just something I played with for me, I just, when I'm doing a reading, I just connect and it just comes through. But yeah. I have played with journeying and it's very easy. For, like, I know I've done it before because it's pretty seamless. But I was taking a class once, just an online class where I was doing a lot of journeying and I kind of had to shut it down because what I realized is like, just habitually, I just, you know, there's no, <laughs> I'll just go right to the middle world. Like, it's just there, you know, it's like upper world, lower world, you know, that's all cool. But for me, you know, I think I spent a lot of my childhood over in the astral plane, just hanging out. Right. And so, yeah, me too. you know, having to learn, there's nothing wrong with the astral plane. It's, it's there, but you know, it's, I think it's one of those that you want to know it's there and, but you don't, you don't want to keep wandering over. You want to have a boundary. And so I had to learn to be very boundaried about that because when I wasn't boundaried about that, I realized it was almost like walking out the front door for me. It is. I, th- and that's true for a, a lot of psychics. We start in the astral and the astral actually has three layers in it too. Okay. So the upper astral is filled with really beautiful, helpful beings that can be quite like archetypal beings and things like that. The middle astral tends to be the stuck dead people, but the lower astral is filled with not very good, you know, spirits that are not well-intentioned to humanity. And for example, like the um, Ouija board takes you to the lower astral. Yeah. Well, it can. Yeah, it can. One of my greatest teachers who's been the guest on this show twice, who is Balls, got all of her initial information by a homemade Ouija board. And that's how she mm. connected to her highest guide. So I think it can. I think any tool can take you any place, but Anywhere. I, mm-hmm. I do understand that there is a lot of connection around that particular tool going to particular yes. places. Yeah, I and, hear you. Yeah, I mean, if you set your intention to use the Ouija board to take you higher, well, yeah, yeah. And if you're like the highest only, you know, it can be a great connector for people, yeah. but we need to be a little there are some not so nice neighborhoods over there in the psychic world yeah. and so it's sort of no it's sort, i always think psychic it's like being street smart you know what right. i mean like if you have your wits about you and you know where you're going you have a map and you're and a guide it's perfectly safe there's nothing yeah. to worry about we don't i don't worry about being in a city walking around but if we are if we're engaged in maybe not so, such safe practices and we have no idea we can run into trouble right so let's just be street smart about it and then we don't have to worry Yeah. The way I understand it is it's about intention. And when you are pure and clear in your intention, then you're going to align with that, which you need to align with when you are murky in your intention, you know, or you have some unresolved stuff that, you know, you want to go play with in the, in the the psychic world, that's where you might get some uncomfortable experiences. But for me, I'm always just very clear on the intention and and that intention reigns things in like 99.9% yeah. of the time, if not a hundred. And I also think about, it's about your vibration. 
too. Yeah. So when we have a high vibration and we have a high intention, we have nothing to worry about. Right. If we're struggling and we haven't done our inner work, we haven't cleared out the channel and our vibration is still a little shaky right. and then we'd have murky intentions, that's where people get into yeah. trouble. And I want to remind people too, wherever you are is just perfect. It's just, just perfect. And this isn't judgment or fear-based conversation that we're having here. It's just understanding that discernment. Mm. And particularly, I think when you're going to work with somebody else, but also in your yeah. own development, like there's, I really believe and you may feel differently. I really believe there's nothing to fear on earth and there's nothing to fear in the psychic worlds either. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's the same thing, just which side of the veil you're looking at it from. Absolutely. I've never been afraid of spiritual things. Yeah. Never been afraid of them. Yeah. And I have for many, many, many years. <laughs> so for me, I was freeing myself. I wasn't, but I was afraid of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was more afraid, but spirits never seemed, I mean, like sometimes you run into a spirit, I would sort of make the the analogy with the earth. Like you might run into a spirit like with nature. That's like a shark. The shark didn't bite you because it's evil. The shark right. bites you because you look like a nice tasty seal. Right. <laughs> and it exactly. It doesn't know until it takes a little mouthful what you really are, you know, and then it spits you out because it doesn't want to eat a nasty human. It wants a nice tasty seal. So right. that's not an evil thing. And I always knew spirits were like that. Right. I've been sometimes really afraid of people, but I've never been afraid of spirits. <laughs> I like that. That's adorable. <laughs> and again, too, it's it's what you put out. Everything in this world serves you. And it's just a matter of constantly reorienting, right, to that highest frequency. And yeah. I believe that's what ultimately gets the job done and gets us through. I agree. Lisa, this has been so much fun. I can't believe that we've been talking as long as we have. It always goes so very fast. What else, you know, are you dying to share that you think our listeners need to know? I feel like, you know, a lot of the psychic development, like I love what you said about vibration and, and intention. Like when we, you know, we can't go wrong if we just call in our highest and best guides. And most of my spiritual training I got from my guides because right. there were no teachers, you know? Yeah. So I think asking like what you need to learn and can, I was always curious. So I'd be like, show me what you're doing or teach me. And I think there's so much available for us if we ask for that kind of open assistance from our guides. And and I guess I really want to close by saying we're all so needed right now. We all have exactly the perfect gifts that we need. To, there's a lot of comparison sometimes that goes on. And when people are really starting to this, they wish they had some, they wish yes. they were a visual, visual psychic or they wish they were like this other person they see on TV or whatever. And I think that comparing is not beneficial or helpful. And to really like, if you want that, you can get it, you might have to work on some of your skills to like, you have to, might have to practice a little bit, but I believe a hundred percent that we have exactly what we need to fulfill our purpose. How could it be any other way? Right. How could it be any other way? So yeah. really leaning into that and knowing that you have exactly what you need to fulfill your purpose and continue to learn and grow and do your inner work. That's really all, all we need to do. I love that. And I, I often teach Everyone's intuitive. You believe that too? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Everyone can open their psychic senses and we all have these experiences all yeah. the time. Just for some of us, it's just it's just really, really loud from the start, mm -hmm. and, but everyone's got it. And yeah. sometimes it's just a matter of tuning into what's happening already and building from there, building yeah. from there because you have your own unique gifts. And when you capitalize on those, mm -hmm. rather than worrying about what Victoria does or what Lisa does or what John Holland does or what whoever else you mm -hmm. follow does... Because that they're not you, and you're here right. to express your own unique gifts, which are legion and beautiful and miraculous. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, that's it. All right, I ask everybody on the show, how do you experience your intuition? 
I'm a visual psychic. So a lot of it for me is about seeing stuff, but I also get it kind of on all channels. Um, So I'll experience like a voice in my head that tells me stuff that's really powerful. I have like the feeling in my body for the body sense for me is the most powerful and the most underrated and the most almost accurate. So I'm constantly listening to my body. Your body always knows what's real, always knows what's true. And so I'm checking my body, my emotions, my gut. I'm listening. I'm just sort of paying attention, you know, to whatever is happening. And it can be a vision, a flash of image, a little movie playing in my head, but it could be a voice in my head too, just like, and I really listen. They can be quiet. They're subtle you know, most of the time. And they're just interwoven into our daily life in a really seamless way. So I think we have to pay attention. I think um, for me, it's about that slowing down and noticing, taking time to be quiet and then paying attention. Amen. I love that. Beautiful. All right. If people want to find you, they want to work with you, they want to take a class, they want to find your books, tell them where they can do that. Sure. So lisacampion.com will get you my website. I have a lot of free resources for developing psychics on paths, healers, and classes of all levels from beginner to advanced classes. Um, my books are available on Amazon and hopefully your local bookseller. I'm, I'm a huge fan of going into your local bookstore and supporting your local because they're a bit of a dying breed and we want to support, keep them open. So check out your local bookseller and there's always Amazon. Beautiful. And we, we always have all of the books mentioned on the show in my account, bookshop.org. And that is sources to local bookstores. So mm, I think I get right. something back, but I don't think I've ever received a check. So it's not much, <laughs> but <laughs> mostly it's, it's for you. If you want an easier way to get the information without going through Amazon, nothing against Amazon, but if you want to support local booksellers, that's a way to do that. If you, if you don't feel like hopping in your car, mm. Lisa, this was so much fun. Oh, last thing podcast. What's your podcast? My podcast is the miracle of healing and it's on my body spirit FM. Check it out. Yay. I love it. I'm so glad we had this conversation. This was so much fun. I'm glad we got to chat again. And I'm also, as you guys hear me say at the end of every episode, I'm I'm so grateful for all of you for tuning in and letting me do this because I have like the best job in the world. So thanks to everyone and namaste. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. Life is hard and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a guided life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.